The Icarus Complex Written, narrated and edited by Lyndon Cole Episode 7 Five months had passed since I split with Zoe, but despite all that time apart, I still hadn't fully moved on. A lot transpired in those five months too. I fully cemented myself into the university football team, so I was training hard, determined to keep fit, anything to keep myself occupied, although I'd stopped going to lectures altogether. I just didn't like my course. I took the course because I wanted to be a psychologist, since nothing was more fascinating to me than other people's problems. It gave me the opportunity to analyse individuals, find out their deepest thoughts, and impose my opinions on them, all without them actually knowing. After all, people tend to believe anything you say if you can back it up with scientific proof. But if you spend your time psychoanalyzing people, you become paranoid of everyone and reclusive. Any initial enjoyment, ambition and desire died, along with my attendance. I desperately needed new career aspirations, something more fulfilling and helpful to others. And it was one afternoon walking past a uni nursery on campus that I had a brilliant idea. As I stopped to watch all of those two to three year old boys and girls run around and wave at me, as I trotted past. It was enough to make me feel that early years teaching was my calling. Yep, that was all it took. It's quite mental really, because I didn't know the first thing about childcare. I still don't. And I certainly didn't care that it meant that I had to spend another three years studying. To me, working in the nursery didn't seem hard. It actually looked like so much fun. So, I picked up the phone and made the necessary inquiries to get a course withdrawal and transfer underway. It didn't take long before the uni administration team had me withdrawn and I was interviewed for a place on their BA primary early years course. And even though I knew nothing about the course, the idea of being interviewed without any prior experience didn't worry me at all. I never got nervous when faced with interviews, and I never understood who would. After all, it gave you the platform to talk about nothing else but yourself and what you're good at. 
As interviews go though, this one was different. As I actually didn't do much talking. And according to the degree coordinator, my meeting was a mere formality. Apparently, there was a niche market for black male teachers in primary education. And I was a perfect candidate. Yeah, I took it as a compliment. Even if I had really sidestepped all normal procedure, purely based on the colour of my skin and having a penis. Reverse racism, I called it. It would serve me well. Not everything in those five months though was plain sailing. For starters, I ended up in A&E on two occasions. One with a severe bout of flu. <laughs> I say severe, it probably wasn't. But as I had never experienced flu before, I actually thought I was gonna die. I had to beg Clive to call me an ambulance, which he did, albeit reluctantly. I reckon he thought I was lying too. Considering my mood swings and tendency to fly off the handles in Zoe, I couldn't really blame him for not believing me. The doctor, however, did agree that I was in a bad way, to be fair, much to my delight, as it proved I wasn't being overdramatic. But you know what, truth be told, an ambulance was really unnecessary in hindsight. But neither Clive or I knew what was wrong. And as we all know now, there is nothing you can do for flu. The doctor sent me on my merry way. The second time though, wasn't so clean cut and ordinary as about a flu. Where do I begin? Okay. Clive and I had gone into town for a night out. Not for any particular occasion, but he'd insisted on getting me out of the house for a bit, and apparently getting back on the girl train was good for me. I wasn't at all interested in getting back on the girl train, or any other train for that matter. But after some convincing, he managed to persuade me to go out. It was good to be out again. And as the night progressed, I busied myself teaching dance moves to those dumb enough to watch and talking to random people and friends, when I then noticed Clive by the bar animatedly talking to a guy that I didn't recognise. Let's speak about Clive for a minute. Clive wasn't the dancing type, but he certainly wasn't the talking to strangers type either. He was very much a guy stuck in his ways. And as much as I loved him like a brother, it was often said by others that he didn't have much charm or conversational skills and living in my shadow couldn't have been healthy for him. So him branching out was a step in the right direction. There had to be a first time for everything. So I shook off my concerns, carried on with what I was doing and just left him to it. I should have intervened though because Clive, somehow, managed to get himself hustled by a complete and utter stranger. Yeah, I know. Let me explain. 
he said this random guy started talking to him and during their newfound friendship of about 25 minutes Clive claimed his new friend asked to borrow some money to buy a few beers until his girlfriend arrived when they would then pay Clive back immediately quite stupidly Clive agreed and lo and behold he never saw that guy again that night the fact he wasn't repaid isn't what I took issue with though no the thing that pissed me off was that he had given away our taxi money therefore ensuring we had no money to get home okay yeah I know what you're thinking and in hindsight it was incredibly stupid of me to entrust Clive with my share of the cab fare home but as I'd worn trousers with no pockets that night I didn't have any other way of looking after my things ignoring the fact that I was wearing trousers with no pockets that was the style for me back then Clive knew his duty was to look after that money not fritter it away on booze and give it away sorry hold on you did what? I was absolutely livid Clive are you stupid man? not only was I wearing trousers with no pockets I had no phone wallet or bank card which meant we had to walk home after spending near enough 20 minutes berating Clive for his carelessness we walked the one hour bus route home I really hated walking that route home it was just so long there was a route that Clive and I had used before but walking down the hard shoulder of the motorway of about a mile, whilst that might have been a good idea at any drunken time, and obviously a lot quicker, we soon realised how stupid we were doing so, and swore never to do it again. The only other alternative that night was to walk the busway, through the centre of Bristol, into Old Market, with its streets lined with massage parlours into Easton, overrun with every foreign export since Carlsberg, and up past that park into Fishponds to home. That's exactly what we did. A lot of the journey was spent giving Clive such a hard time that by the time we reached just before Eastville Park, he decided that he'd had enough, walked ahead and began to talk on his phone. That was fine by me, because like I said, I wasn't happy with him at all. So I was glad to see the back of him for a bit, particularly as he tried to talk to me as we stumbled home about random pointless stuff, as if nothing had happened. I was a bastard to him, and to be fair, it was totally unnecessary. But I did, however, need to be alone. So I let him walk ahead, and I tagged behind, muttering to myself as we ambled up the road. Almost immediately after Clive and I parted ways, I could see that I was soon to approach two women sitting down, waiting under a bus shelter. I looked at them. They looked at me. I double took and looked at them again. You had a good night then, babe, said one of them in his shrill southwest country accent wherever they had been that night 
They looked as if they had had a good time, but had been partying for days. Scratch that, weeks even. Seriously, Ralph didn't quite cut how horrific these two looked. And given the mood I was in, the best thing to do was to put my head down and not respond to anything they had to say, lest I offend someone. But I soon realised I was very drunk, and to my surprise, I couldn't understand why this was. Because I hadn't drunk that much, nor had I been that intoxicated before we started walking. I'd experienced what fresh air and alcohol mixed together can do to someone, and with the walkathon too, all three combined together created the worst possible drunkard you could ever come across. I grunted at them both in acknowledgement, hoping that it would be enough for them to leave me alone. But this only fueled their need to converse with me more. You look like you could do with some cheering up, said one. I didn't answer. Hmm, I think he looks a bit angry if I'm honest, said the other. But 20 minutes with us and 60 quid and we'll sort you right out. I shuddered as a sudden wave of insightfulness came over me. It had happened again. These two weren't on their way back from a night out. In fact, their night out was just beginning. I'd inadvertently stumbled upon not one, but two ladies of the night. And before I'd even had the chance to decline the offer and quickly scarper and move on, one of them decided to step in front of me, blocking my path. I stepped left. She stepped left. I stepped right. She stepped right. I smiled at her, thinking she was just being playful. The last thing I wanted to do was play silly buggers, but I didn't want to come across rude either. The other one, though, seemed to take my smile as an invitation to join in this silly game, because she then ambled up behind me. I was the filling in their after-hour wretched prostitute sandwich, and I could feel myself edging towards losing my temper. I'd had enough. I was cold, tired and fed up, and pretty much the last hour had been an absolute disaster. I completely ruined what had actually been a decent night. I looked ahead to see if Clive was witnessing things. He wasn't. He had his back to me walking towards home, so as usual, was totally oblivious to everything that was going on. I could see him about a hundred yards up the road, on his phone, talking away. Yep. Typical. It was their third attempt to find out what I was after, and the seeing what one of them looked like up close and personal, that sent me over the edge. Alright, listen, joke's over now, yeah? Get out of my face, please. I barked at her. She recoiled, astonished, mouth aghast. Poor, would you listen to her? Am I right, fucking hell? Calm down, mate, we're only messing with you. She said. Yeah. Piped up her accomplice. Don't get your knickers in a twist, trust me. We didn't want to go anywhere near your cheesy knob anyway. Yep. That was it. That was one step too far. I blew my lid. What? Cheesy knob? What, me? 
Oh, fuck off, man. I told them. You think I have time for this? I'm not telling you again. Get out of my way. And furthermore, why don't you go and find a decent job instead of whoring yourself out and bothering people? Huh? They tried to speak back, but I was having none of it. I could feel the anger that I had vented against the car wind mirrors months ago returning. I didn't care. I started on them again. You've got the absolute cheek to cuss and harass me when you do this for a living. I can't believe what I'm hearing. Just fuck off and get out of my way. And let me make something crystal clear to you, right? I wouldn't go near you if my life depended on it. You're probably riddled with diseases anyway. It's great how your fucking life's turned out, innit? But you wanna chat shit to me? I continued to swear and slate them further, with insults and put-downs, Fuck. before they decided to walk away. But that only further enraged me. Sorry, hold on, where are you going? Nah, 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 come back here, innit? Because a minute ago I was cheesy, no, but now you want to walk away? Mm-mm, this is not how this works, not today, because I asked you to super nicely to leave me alone so I could go home. And yet what are we doing? We're standing out here still chatting shit. I'm not done with you two yet. I'd been kept stood in the cold for over 10 minutes against my will. Like a sick fetish hostage situation gone wrong. Whilst those two messed me about. And now they wanted to leave me alone? I would have none of it. It was when I shouted at them from across the road that they should... Tell you what, let me give you some advice for free in it. Stop doing all this and go and find Jesus, yeah? How about that? That things got even worse. I was just about to walk home and let them know one last final annoyance that I had when... I was hit on the side of the head from behind. I wheeled around, clasping hold of my head to see what happened. There stood towering over me was a six foot five black man with dreadlocks, an iron bar fixed in his hand, ready to take another strike at my head. I couldn't understand what was going on, but before I had any chance to compute it, I jumped up and swung for him, landing a punch. The guy staggered back. I felt my heart beating, adrenaline racing, flying through me. Yo, who was this guy? Why had he just attacked me? Seeing as I wasn't about to back down, the man swung for my head again, hitting me with the bar, but this time on my arm as I'd used it to block his latest blow. I felt a sharp pinch as the bar connected with my arm, and then I realised there was something attached to the end of it. Yep, it was a nail. Blood started to trickle down my arm while I still insisted on fighting back, each time dodging the brute's efforts and endeavours to wound me. I soon found I couldn't do much more. Blood was also starting to trickle down my face, and I remembered that I actually had taken a wallop on the head with a makeshift iron bar to begin with. It soon dawned on me that I was fighting a losing battle. And judging by my injuries, I didn't want to make them worse. I needed attending to, so I just turned around and ran away from them all, not looking back. I ran until I could see Clive a bit better, who was still on the phone by the way, and called out for him. Clive, help! And then just collapsed. The shock and distress had been too much for me to handle. The adrenaline had worn off also, 
and my head and my arm are pounding. Seriously, man, I was in severe pain. Blood had poured down into my left eye and down my cheek, and I began to worry, panic, and cry. Clive was speechless to start with, and bless him, didn't waste any time trying to ask me any questions, but instead carried me like a wounded soldier propped on his shoulders for the rest of the short walk home. When we got home, he did his very best to get me cleaned up, but he was so mad at himself that he in turn started to cry too. He told me that he'd let me down and that he was sorry that he wasn't there when this happened. I remember drifting in and out of consciousness, and doing so made Clive even more distressed. So much so that he called me an ambulance, who then came and then whisked me away. The nurses fixed me up with three stitches, dissolvable ones, and then we sat down to discuss what had happened. Once I'd explained and the police had been called, the hospital revealed that they could see a little hole the size of a pin inside the wound on the left side of my head, which was less than a centimetre from my temple on one side and my eye on the other. Yeah, man. I'd had a lucky escape. Later on that week, having given my statement to the police, they informed me that they believed I'd been attacked by the pimp of the girls and that they actually knew who the guy was and that they would be in touch. Just to be clear, by the way, I have never, ever heard again from the police on this matter, which at the time really irritated me because of how certain they were that they knew who this prick was. If I'm honest, I was very fortunate not to be blinded that night, or even dead. I know I shouldn't have goaded the women in the way that I did, but with everything that happened that night, I once again lost my temper, and it got the better of me. No matter how aggressive I got with those women, they were never in any danger from me and I still believe to this day that I didn't deserve that attack. Without Clive there that night, who knows what might have happened. But then again, if he hadn't been so reckless with our money, or I'd not worn pocketless trousers, I might have been alright. The scar on the left side of my head serves as a constant reminder of this night, and I swore to never walk home again or be caught walking alone anywhere in Bristol. I had to learn to control my emotions because I never wanted to see a situation where I began that angry again going forward. It just wasn't worth it. Put it this way, it's not every day you can claim to have been pimp slapped or in my case, pimp barred with a potential rusty nail. And it was an experience that I never ever wanted to go through again.